Good evening, church. Tonight's a communion service, and our aim tonight is to remember and reflect and celebrate our communion with God. And so toward the end of the service, you'll have a chance to take the bread and the cup on your own. But communion isn't first and foremost about the bread and the cup. Um, what we really, what I'm hoping we can all understand tonight is the significance of our communion with him in context of the greatness of his creation. Communion is koinonia, it's fellowship with the God of the universe, the one who made it all, the creator of all, and we get to have close communion with him. It's a deep and close mutual relationship together that he knows us, that we know him, and it's absolutely amazing to me considering who he is and, and who we are. You look at how amazing God is, all that he's created, and then us, right? You look at the contrast, and we'll get into that. But we're, we're stinky, wretched sinners. We're rebels, we're, we're rejectors, but he forgives when we repent. And so if you remember from last week, Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament shows his handiwork. Hopefully you guys remember that creation itself declares God's glory and that the order, the design of all his creation declares his glory as well. And so tonight we're going to look at briefly what creation is and then we're going to look at why, why he created it all. And for some of you, this might be a little bit familiar, but it's not exactly the same as VBS, so. All right. And for the teens, you guys will get the, the pieces that you all missed at camp, Lord willing. All right. So um, Genesis 1 and 2, I'm just going to give a quick summary here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And all-powerful, all-knowing creator God of the universe simply spoke, and it was so. We have day one, God said, let there be light. And then on day two, God said, let there be a ferment in the midst of the waters. And on day three, God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place. Let the dry land appear, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind. I, yeah, there we go. Um, day four, God said, let there be lights. So the sun and the moon and the stars and the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons, for days and years. Day five, God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face and the firmament of the heavens. On day six, God said, let the earth bring forth a living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and the beasts of the earth. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. So God created all. He created the heavens and the earth for us, both to live and to see his glory, right? The heavens declare his glory. We get to look out at all his creation and glorify him. Then he made us in his image to be like him. He blessed us. He gave us life. God wants communion with us. And hopefully we're going to get the magnitude of that truth. Look at the size and complexity of creation. Isaiah 40, this is verses 12 and 22. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Swanky, have you measured the waters? My gunslinger, yeah? Yeah. Uh, who, <laughs> there we go. I totally got off base. <laughs> All right, who's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured the heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure? 
weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. For us, we, we, can't, we can estimate. We can look at the oceans and try to estimate how much, there is, how much water there is. We can try to measure the whole universe. That's day four in VBS. And can you guys tell me how much dirt there is in the whole world? No, we can't. We can, we can estimate it, but that's, it's a guess. It's our best guess. We can't pick up whole mountains and weigh them, but God can, right? He knows. He has all power. He has all ability. He made it all. Compared to God, we're about as big as bugs, but there's a big difference. We're, we're kind of like grasshoppers in terms of our power and our ability. And have you guys, how many of you guys have played with bugs? Do you have like much compassion for them? You care about them? You'd like sacrifice for them? You love them? No, not so much, right? So there's a big difference, right? We don't care about bugs, but Psalm 8, 3 through 4, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? All right, who, who was in VBS? You have that song stuck in your head? Yeah? There's a great song for that. It was like our transition song the whole time. It helps us to remember that passage. But the bottom line is you look at the scale, the span of heaven, and then what, what are we that God thinks of us, that God cares about us? We're, we're like insignificant, and yet he loves us. He made us. He, his purpose, well, his, his purpose for creation is so that we can live, so that we can glorify him, so that we can have communion with him. So we look at his power, and you think about why would God care more about us than bugs, right? We're his beloved children. That's what he tells us. You guys care more about bugs or your kids? Obviously, your kids, right? That's the answer. There's a difference between a bug and a baby or a cricket and a child, right? We do tons for our kids. And if you guys are kids, a few kids in here, like, you know, your parents do tons for you, right? You sacrifice, work, you care for, you feed, protect, shelter. Hopefully, parents are teaching and training. We're providing for our kids with whatever power we've got. Parents want the best for their kids because kids are way more important than bugs to us, all right? unless you're some weird etymologist or something. All right, so God loves us. We're his beloved children, right? We're adopted by choice. We're grafted in, and God made all of creation for us. He made us because he loves us. So why creation? Our first topic, why creation? It's for us. So do you think God just created all of us on, on a whim, or do you think he thought through it? Do you think he planned through it? He thought through it. There's a, yeah, I'm baiting you into this. All right. There's a passage that's coming up. Do you guys, how about you guys? Do you think through every decision? Any impulse buyers? Impulse decision makers? You call out your husband or your wife here? Any, yeah. <laughs> that was pretty quick. Oh, okay, okay. All right, so for us, like, we often do things impulsive. We don't, we don't think through, and then sometimes we regret our decisions because we didn't think through all the consequences, right? But that's not the nature of God. God is omniscient. He knows everything before it happens, he's not impulsive. He doesn't do things without thinking them through like, like we do. Proverbs three nineteen through 20 tells us, the Lord by wisdom, not on an impulse, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up and clouds dropped down the dew. God created the heavens and the earth. He created us with wisdom, with knowledge, with understanding. It wasn't a rash decision. He knows all for all time. He thought through it. He knew what the consequences would be. He knew what the cost would be. 
and yet he chose to make us all the same. He knew that Adam and Eve would sin. He knew that we would sin. And it's the biggest problem ever because sin separates. It, God can't tolerate sin. He can't stand it because he's perfectly just, he's perfectly righteous, and sin is standing against him. It's disobeying, it's acting against him, it's contrary to his design and his will, which we covered last time. He's everything good, right, and loving, and sin is everything against him. It's everything bad, wrong, unloving. It's a huge problem because we do wrong all the time. God knew he would sin, we would sin, I could do it again. God knew that we would sin before he made us. So was God wrong to create us? No. Isaiah 45, 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. God wasn't wrong. He didn't make us in vain. He didn't make his creation in vain. He knew that we would sin he thought through it, he had a plan, and he created us all the same. So why creation? He made creation despite us, despite our failings. God made us, made us knowing that we would betray him, and that's absolutely amazing to me. How many of you guys would choose to be friends with someone that you know would backstab you? How many of you, when you're thinking through a relationship, would choose to be with somebody that you knew would just totally walk all over to if they knew that they would hurt those that you love, you probably wouldn't enter into it, right? And the reality is that the world that we live in is a, a pretty harsh place. It's a sin-sick world. But if you knew that you could save them from sin and its consequence, do you think you might change things? you think you might go through with it? But what about the cost? What if you knew that the cost would be suffering, that it would be dying in order to save and rescue and redeem? Like you think about it for us, you know, maybe, and, and God tells us this in his word, but maybe for our friends, right? Maybe for our family, for our loved ones, we'd be willing to lay down our lives. We'd be willing to suffer. But for an enemy, for one that was against us, that's God chose to make us. God chose to die even for his enemies. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Man, I'm really messing my slides up here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted and beloved in the beloved. God counted the cost of creation, and he decided that we were worth it. Before he made all, he looked forward in time to today, to us right here tonight, and he decided that he loves us so much that he would make the whole universe, even though the only way that he could save us was for Jesus to lay down his life. John three sixteen and 17, For God so loved the world, for he so loved us, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He made that decision before he ever made the world, before time began. That's how much God loves us. That's how much he wants to be with us forever. He made it all, he came to earth as a man, he suffered, he died, he rose to life so that we could have the choice to make him our Lord, to believe and be saved, to be cleansed of all sin because he paid in our place so that we can have communion with him. So if we choose to receive his gift of grace, we're forgiven, we're cleansed. 
We get to live forever for all eternity with God who loves us so much. He'll be with us forever. He'll strengthen us by our Holy Spirit to be like him, to love him more and more every day until we finally get to be with him forever. And once we are, we'll be fully like him without sin, without hurt, without pain. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Again, God knew the cost of creation. He knew that all would sin and fall short. He knew the price that he would have to pay to redeem us, to pay for his offer of glorious, his glorious gift of grace. He knew that some would still reject his love, and he decided that we're worth it. So he made creation despite us. God decided that we were worth it when he chose to create the heavens and the earth. He sent his son, Jesus, to give his life in our place, to rise to life, to prove his power. All to give us the choice to believe upon him, to accept his gift of grace or not. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we're not saved by being good. None of us can be good enough. Only Jesus is. He offers us this gift of grace by faith, and faith isn't a work either. It's taking him at his word. It's believing and receiving his gift of him paying our paying our way in, in our place, paying our way in our place. His gift is that we'll be forgiven that because he gave his perfect life for, for us. So God can look at us, so instead of seeing our badness, he sees Jesus' goodness, his perfect righteousness. But here's the thing with a gift, right? We need to accept it, right? You have to receive it, you have to open it. So we have a choice to make. Romans 10, 9 through 10 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So God gives us a choice. Why, why does he give us a choice instead of just forcing us? That's the big question, isn't it? Love requires a choice. So why creation for love? Have you, have you guys ever tried to force like, it may, they may even seem nice on the outside, but, like, I've seen my kids, I'm like, you know, go say sorry to your brother, and he's like, sorry. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean it unless he makes that choice to actually love, to actually say sorry. Love is a choice to care, to put someone before yourself, to want their good even when it costs you something, even when it isn't easy. And that's what God's done for us. He loves us first, he offers everything to us, and then he gives us that choice. He compares our communion to marriage because without choice, love can't exist. Ephesians 5, 25 through 32, this is a partial up here, but it, um, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So he loved us, he gave himself for us before we ever accepted. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. For we are members of his body, and of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So on our own, are we without spot or wrinkle? 
Definitely not. I thought I'd get more laughs on that. All right. <laughs> but God cleanses us, right? Um, so godly marriage is and, and ought to be a picture and an example of God's perfect love, right? So he's put it in several ways. We're his beloved kids. He's put it in, in terms of marriage. And this is all because in the natural, we can't fully understand his love, right? So he gives us these different pictures so we can better understand his love. So he gave all, he paid all in love to offer us communion with him as his beloved bride. And that's why he created us, even knowing the cost for love. When you think about how horrible is it, how hurtful is it when you love someone, you sacrifice for them, and then they totally reject you? It's horrible. It hurts. It's heartbreaking, it's painful, it causes great grief. Love has the potential to be wonderful, but it also has the potential to hurt, doesn't it? And God chose to create all so that he could choose to love us perfectly despite the potential pain, despite the pain that he knew would come. That's who our God and creator is. He is love. He's perfect love through and through. 1 John 4, 8 through 11. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So our love is imperfect. It's tainted, it's selfish, it's flawed. But God's love is perfect, it's pure, we're selfish sinners, but God has perfectly proven his love for us. He counted the cost. He willingly proceeded to pay the full purchase price in our place. He loved us from before the beginning. He sent his son to pay our sin in our place. So why creation? For love. God is perfectly good. He offers us the gift of grace through faith. But then what about sin? How do we address sin? If we'll receive his gift of grace, we're forgiven and we're cleansed of sin, right, in Christ. But there's still sin in the sin-sick world, isn't there? So what's the solution for that? Why is it still by his design? John 14, 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So right now, we know that Jesus is in heaven. He's with the Father. He's fulfilling his plan. He's preparing a place for us, for all who love him. He will return for all who love him as Lord, for all who accept his gift of grace. Second Peter 3.13, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, Look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So God's going to remake the heavens and the earth. He's going to remake it. Does that mean that he messed up the first time? No, this is part of his plan. He's going to remake it for all who are made righteous in him. New heavens and a new earth without sin, without all the suffering and pain that it produces. Why not make it this way the first time? Remember that choice is necessary for love. So in the new heavens and earth, there'll be no sea, no sin, no sun, but all of God's glory. Revelation 21, heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, 
prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Revelation 21, 23. The city had no need of the sun nor of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Sorry, I didn't switch up there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's the key right there. That's the key to his new creation. That's how there can be love and no sin. That all that are there have chose to be with him, have chose to receive him, have chose to receive his gift of grace. We've learned about how the heavens and all the creation declare the glory of God. But God's new heaven and new earth will be more glorious. We're already perfectly loved, but all who love Jesus as Lord will be righteous. They'll be like him in the new creation when we're with him. All who receive his gift of grace will be there with God perfectly, unfiltered, in perfect communion, his friends, his beloved, forever. All good, no bad, perfect love, no hate, no sin, no pain, no hurt, no suffering, no darkness, no death. Only perfect communion with him. That's his plan for his creation. That's why he's made it all. He loves us, he's chosen us, he's created all for you. The question is, will we accept his love? Will we receive him or reject him? So why creation? Because it's anew forever. And finally, why creation? For forever communion with God. Compared to God, again, we, we ought to precious we are to him. How great his love is. But we can't fully understand the purity of his perfect love for us yet. So he shows us by every example, right? So we've covered friendship. We've covered we're his children. We've covered we're his bride. I mean, what other ways are there that we can try to understand love this side of heaven? Hear the words of our God and Savior. This is as he's created close communion for us. This is just before he willingly laid down his life. Luke 22, 19 through 23. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me at the table. And truly, the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. So Jesus gives us the practice of communion to rightly remember his redemption and also his rejection. To remember his plan, to remember his promise, to remember his power to remember and to declare his death and resurrection until he comes again, to remember the price that he paid in our place, the truth that we can have communion with him forever, from the moment we accept his perfectly loving gift of grace and forever right on into eternity, into his new creation, or 
despite his perfect love, we can slap him in the face. We can betray, we can refuse, we can reject. And so my, my hope and prayer tonight is that you guys have seen and better known his perfectly pure love for us in the context of all creation, looking at the God of the universe, making it all, looking forward for all time in his perfect knowledge, knowing that he made it not in vain, but with a plan and a purpose, that we would be able to have communion with him. And he's inviting us to the table. He's inviting us to eat and drink of the cup and bread that represent and remind of his absolutely perfect, pure love. The fact that he held nothing back in pursuing us and loving us in paying the only way of salvation and communion with them. So why creation for forever communion with us? Lord, we thank you for making the way for us. We thank you for looking forward for all time, seeing the incredibly high price that you would have to pay, Lord, to make the way of salvation for us, Lord. We thank you for revealing your love to us, Lord. We thank you for drawing us by your loving kindness. And we just, we thank you, Lord. We praise you now. I just ask that you help us by your, your spirit to examine our hearts, to examine our minds, Lord. To, yeah, just examine the, the heavy cost that you paid for our sin, Lord. And that we would repent, that we would look to you, that we would long for you, Lord, that we would appreciate you for who you are. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.